there's people who said that, yeah, we could do this. We could take over the grid from ComEd. Is the city considering going down that road? Well, it's a lot of money and a lot of time. We would much rather work with ComEd as the incumbent to get the, the existing franchise agreement renewed. Hello, welcome to a special emergency mini episode of the Cloudcast. I'm Alex Nitkin. One of Chicago's biggest departments is also one of its most overlooked. With a more than $2 billion budget, the Department of Assets, Information, and Services is basically the agency in charge of all of the city's stuff. It is the property manager for the 500-some-odd buildings the city owns, and it manages the 10,000 cars, trucks, and other pieces of equipment used by city workers. And for about two years now, it's also been in charge of the city's software and technology infrastructure. Now, we decided to record a special episode of the Cloudcast today because we got the chance to talk to the commissioner of that department, David Reynolds, and he told us that he is stepping down from that role as of this coming Monday, February 28th. But before he leaves for a new gig that we'll tell you about in a minute, I got the chance to ask him about a number of different topics, including the future of Chicago's energy grid, how the city is planning to upgrade its aging technology, and when the city might make the switch to fully electric vehicles. Take a listen. Commissioner David Reynolds, thank you for coming on. How are you? I am great. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. So uh, to start off, I understand you have an announcement to make. You have some news for us. I do. After 11 years in this position, my current position is commissioner of the City of Chicago Department of Assets, Information, and Services. I am going to be uh, moving to the, the Obama Foundation, and I'll be part of the team that delivers the Obama Presidential Center. Wow. So you have been in this position for, like you said, 11 years. Most of it was at, as commissioner of what was called 2FM of the Fleet and Facilities Management Department. Talk about this new opportunity, how it came about, and what you're going to be doing in this next role. My title will be Director of Campus and Facility Operations. And my specific responsibilities were to make sure that everything needed to run the facility, uh, whether ranging from security to operations to landscaping, is in place and ready to go on day one. So moving from an entire city operation to a campus should hopefully be a little bit, a little bit more contained. Yeah, different challenges. Sure. So the Department of Assets, Information, and Services was born in 2020. Um, 2FM merged with DOIT, the Department of Innovation and Technology. Um, we're now two years on. That move got a lot of criticism at the time, including from the city's former chief data officer, William Schenck. He said, you know, terrible idea to put cars and computers in the same department. We know that, you know, Alderman Gil Villegas, who chairs the City Council Economic Capital Technology Development Committee, still pushing to undo that merger, says it never should have been done in the first place. Why are they wrong? Do you think that they've been proven wrong now two years on? What I believe, part of the reason the merger works is that before the merger, 2FM was a service department. We provide what other people need to do their jobs. We provide policemen with their vehicles. We provide streets and sand with their snowplows. Um, we also more broadly do things like records management and graphics. A logical step in that is we should also provide the IT solutions that departments need to do their jobs. So if you look at it from the perspective of us being a service department, it does make sense. It also allows the, when, when 2FM was created, it allowed the um, subject matter experts and things like fleet and facilities to focus on operations while consolidating the administrative and HR functions in a separate bureau. And so this allows uh, the former do it to take 
you know, really focus on the IT job, not worry so much about admin and, and HR because they, they've, they've slotted into our existing systems. Part of the rationale for the merger, as I recall, was that it would save the city money. I think the estimate was about a million dollars a year in savings. Um, I went and looked up the 2019 total corporate fund budget allocation for Do It. It was about $24 million. Compare that to the AIS Bureau of Technology, Bureau of Information Technology in 2022, $32 million. Obviously, it's not an apples to apples comparison. We're talking about three years apart. Costs are going to grow, but still a pretty significant jump in the budget. So tell me about where does that savings come in? So the savings was primarily in reduction of positions. So there were redundancies there. As I mentioned before, when Do It came into the department, they were able to capitalize on our existing infrastructure. Um, and so there were vacancies that were left behind that did not make it into subsequent budgets. Um, the jump in funding that you're seeing is a recognition by this administration that um, historically IT has been underfunded. And if we are going to maintain the ability to provide quality services to our citizens, we need to spend more money on it, frankly. And so that's an investment that we've just seen come in more? Yes, we're seeing more and more of an investment. And I think over the, the next few years, uh, hopefully sooner, you'll see even bigger ones. Mayor Lightfoot's been very clear that she wants to take what we have, which is a bunch of um, somewhat disparate old legacy systems that don't talk, um, to each other very well and move them into the current scenario, the current setting. So I, I predict there will be a significant investment in our IT infrastructure over the next few years. So on that note, a city commission report from a consulting firm Gartner found last year, 43% of all software used by the city was in poor technical condition, requires replacement. Um, this was a big part of the conversation last year. And what you were presenting you know, to the city council was that AIS has since embarked on this $400 million plan to overhaul the city's IT landscape over the next decade. Um, talk a little bit about what that all entails, what the benefit is going to be, and, and more importantly, I mean, where does that process stand right now? Oh, sure. Uh, coincidentally, um, we have extended Gartner's engagement with us. And so there was a, uh, a broader kickoff meeting just yesterday um, that was with our IT staff. We have a new chief information officer. Uh, representatives from Gartner, uh, representatives from the marriage office, um, to move into the implementation step. The important piece that we are going to be working on first is identifying which programs, which applications are the most important to handle first. Uh, within the 43 that were identified in the Gartner report, you remember there was a, um, a quadrangle and it placed them in different locations based on technical usability and, and things like that. A lot of our software was created in the time when it was more about um, taking existing processes and automating them. So it was like, it's back, you know, I remember learning Fortran. And so let's write down how HR works and then let's write a computer program to do that. What we're moving more towards is how do we get systems that work together so that we have HR and time and attendance and um, benefits or other systems that all come together. Technology is not as bespoke as it used to be. And there are a lot of really good packages out there that exist that um, can meet many of our needs. So our, within that 43, we're gonna look to see, okay, if we, if we pursue a certain solution, will it check off five or six of these applications that are our legacy? 
So then what comes first? Is it overhauling, you know, building permits or 311? I mean, there's a whole long list. Do you now have a sense of what is the highest priority? That's what we're working on now. Now, buildings we have been working with. Um, we're upgrading them, and this was previous, upgrading them to a system called IPS 11 so that the permitting is more automated. They've had a really old system, right, that they've complained about. Yeah, they do. It's called Hansen. Um, and they've got a couple others along with it that have been around for a while. But we are migrating now. There are parts that have been migrated. And then 311 was upgraded a few years ago. And so um, it's it's in good shape. It's based off a more common platform now rather than being a custom piece of software. So what's the next milestone in this process? When should we expect the next update? I would expect by budget season, definitely, you would be able to, our chief information officer would be able to talk about the specific applications that they're going after first. Moving along here, I want to talk about the city's franchise agreement with ComEd uh, for electric delivery. It expired now 14 months ago at the end of 2020. The last update I feel like we've really had on this was last spring when negotiations over ComEd, with ComEd over a new agreement We're pretty much at a standstill. The city released a request for information to try and see if there are any other providers out there who could do better. Can you give us an update on all that? Oh, sure. Uh, Again, coincidentally, my previous call today was with ComEd and members of uh, the mayor's office and my staff on the franchise agreement. Negotiations have restarted. Mayor, Mayor, I'm sorry, Mayor Lightfoot has made it crystal clear to ComEd's new CEO that uh, she expects significant progress by the end of this quarter. How long were they unstarted for? Oh, well, whatever time frame you just gave So us. from the spring until now, basically. Uh, we started talking with them again in early February. Okay. And so you said by the end of first quarter? quarter first quarter. The, March. the mayor's going to want to see some significant progress. It doesn't have to be done, but she wants to be able to see a lot of her policy objectives being reflected in the the draft documents being produced. And if they don't meet that deadline? Well, I guess we'll find out when it comes. Um, I mean, the the franchise agreement is in a holdover phase, so it's not as if things stop. It's It's, all just everything is going along with the same terms of the deal that's expired. It is, correct. We did do the RFI. We got a a pretty diverse set of responses. Um, And there's people who said that, yeah, we could do this. We could take over the grid from ComEd. Is the city considering going down that road? Well, it's a lot of money and a lot of time. We would much rather work with ComEd as the incumbent to to get the, the existing franchise agreement renewed. It would be many, many, many years. When you think about um, an, an analogy I've used in the past is it's uh, you essentially have to go around the borders of the city of Chicago with a set of scissors and cut every connection that goes to the suburbs and then figure out how to supply that connection within the city. So it's a very, it would be an expensive and time consuming process. How many other providers responded to the RFI? I believe there were eight. Now, some of them were one horse ponies, you know, they wanted to talk about a specific thing, but others were more comprehensive and brought operational and financial analysis to the table. But not enough to make it worth it. Well, the the thing is that ComEd has already paid for their system. Whereas if we were to privatize it or municipalize it, whatever word you want, we would have to buy it from them. And so that's, that is the sticking point. It's that first cost. They've already spent the money. We would have to spend it. And then we would need to work with an investor who's comfortable with a very long time frame. It's not a, it wouldn't be a 10 year payback. It would be something much longer, but patient money might be willing to do that. 
Let's talk about decarbonization. Um, AIS has set a goal of switching, correct me if I'm wrong here, city-owned buildings to renewable energy by 2025, mm -hmm. all Chicago buildings by 2035. Is the city on pace to, to do that? And what is the role of um, you know, federal infrastructure money and city capital money in, in making that happen? So there's a couple pieces there. The 2025 goal is when we want to have all the city's electricity. And so by city, it is the core libraries, police stations, fire stations, the airports, and the water department, and the streetlights. So that's that's what we as AIS are responsible for. Um, we issued an RFP about a year ago um, to seek providers to give us um, a pathway to get to 100% renewable by 2025. We are finishing up those negotiations, and I would, I'm very hopeful that um, later this quarter, early the, the following that we will be able to announce that we've reached reached a deal. Um, what I find exciting about it is that the deal is big enough that it encourages new build generation, uh, which is really what we wanted. We wanted to, as a, a test of concept, for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, if, if we put something out there as large as the cities of Chicago's load, is that enough of an incentive to drive new construction of renewable power plants. And the devils are, are uh, in the legal details at the moment, but it appears that it was. So what about the city's fleet? The city owns something like 10,000 cars and trucks? We It's 10,000 pieces of equipment. Some oh. of those are um, plow blades, helicopters, boats, but yes. Give A lot take. of things we're talking about that run on gas. Um, yes. You told the city council during budget hearings in the fall that AAS now claims all of six electric vehicles, or at least that was the case in October. What is the path to getting the city to an all electric fleet? We heard from the CTA just a couple of days ago, they want all electric by 2040. Where's the city on that? Well, what my automotive engineers have drilled into my head is that you have to pick the right fuel for the job. And the reason, well, I'll use, for example, a refuse truck. Um, we actually had an electric refuse truck a few years ago. We had gotten a grant from the U.S. Department of Energy, and the technology just wasn't there yet. If you think about a bus, a bus is kind of like a big car. You know, The only moving parts that are beyond what you would see in a car are the doors. Um, but otherwise, it's a big, long car. If you think about a refuse truck, you've got the hydraulic systems, you've got the packers, you've got the, the back end itself. So there's a lot more to run. And we were not able with our pilot electric vehicle or pilot refuse truck to dependably run those systems. And so at this moment in time, the best fuel for whatever, take it as you will, the best fuel for a refuse truck is diesel. Now there are like, you see a lot of uh, cement trucks, for example, that are CNG. Those work CNG? if you're uh, compressed natural gas. And so those work if you are running highway miles. So running a significant number of miles, 10, 12,000 miles a year, at least. Um, if you think about a city garbage truck, it goes up and down alleys. And so it doesn't hit high speeds and it's got relatively low mileage. And so we have done the analysis about moving to uh, compressed natural gas for refuse. And it's, it's just not there yet. Now, I will go, I want to take a skip over to our police fleet because we've got the largest number of um, uh, gas hybrid 
police cars in the nation at the moment. And so that is a step towards that electrification. Um, police, the interceptors, they all have to be certified to be pursuit rated. So that in the event that they're, they're in a pursuit or in an accident, however you want to frame it, they need to be able to protect the officers. And so there's a limited number of pieces of equipment out there that are pursuit rated. As soon as a hybrid unit was installed or uh, available, we started buying those and they've, they've worked very well. So clearly it's a massive, complicated endeavor. I get that. At the same time, this is a climate emergency. The administration, I'm sure, would agree. What is the next step? What has to happen in order to get the garbage trucks, the helicopters, the everything to that level? From our perspective, our next step is to start building out the infrastructure. Um, we are already working with the mayor's office as part of the climate action plan to increase the number of electrical charging stations that we have citywide available to city fleets. Um, that's one step because if you can't charge it, you know, it's it's not much of a, a useful vehicle. The second is, uh, in many ways, the technology just, just needs to catch up. Um, like I mentioned about the refuse trucks, there is not um, there is not technology out there that we're aware of um, that really fits well for that use. And so it's a combination of us putting the infrastructure in place. We're uh, we lease our light duty vehicles. We're leasing more. I don't know the exact number at the moment, but we're leasing more all electric, and then working with the industry so that when these vehicles do come online they actually meet our needs. They're not hypotheticals anymore. I can't, I can't put a few hundred hypothetically working refuse trucks on the street and expect them to serve the city. So let's then talk about just general upkeep and maintenance, the sort of bread and butter work sure. of your department. You told the city council about a year and a half ago now, I looked this up, that the department is really severely underfunded when it just comes to maintenance and upkeep of its existing assets. You said it would take an annual appropriation of about $210 million for annual building upgrades just to replace things before they break. And the city was only getting about $35 million, a fraction of that each year for building maintenance. You said a sort of similar level for the fleet, for vehicles. Um, that was all before the city launched its big $2.7 billion capital plan, before this big federal infrastructure package uh, passed last year. So how far are those big new pots of money going to go to you know eat away at this massive backlog of deferred maintenance? Um, sure. Uh, the capital plan that Mayor Lightfoot has put in place is, it has been a boon for our department. Um, we are aiming to have 150 buildings upgraded by the end of next year. Uh, as the first step, we've been focusing on public-facing buildings like libraries. Um, Remind us how many buildings total are We under... have about 500. And those, uh, our particular portfolio, we only have a few really large buildings like the Harold Washington Library or like City Hall. We have lots of small to medium-sized buildings like libraries. And so this funding is allowing us to go into those older libraries, for example, and make sure the, the windows are good, make sure the roof is good, make sure the HVAC is, is uh, modern, make sure we've got proper controls in place. That's going to take us well down the road. Now it's a five-year capital plan and our goal is to do 150 the first two years, 150 in the next two years. Um, and then we'll have some cleanup at the end. Some of our newer buildings, we don't really need to spend that attention on now. But that is that is getting us towards 
eliminating this backlog of, of deferred maintenance. It's been a great thing for us. Do you have a sense of how meaningful the federal infrastructure money is going to be toward that? or Not yet, no. On the fleet side, I uh, will also say that the capital plan has been great for us there too. We ordered around 600 vehicles last year, which is probably a 50% increase, if not more, over what we would typically order in a year. Um, we just, and these are gas-powered vehicles? Well, some of them, yes. Uh, we do have the hybrids. And so we just received our 325th hybrid police cruiser, which is the end of that order. So I know we're running low on time here. I just have one last question for you, if you'll indulge me, and that is to ask, what is the single most important message that you have for whoever it is who replaces you in this job? I mean, what, what is it that they really need to be aware of and focus on? In the 11 years I've been doing this, one of the things I'm most proud about is that we have become, we've truly become a service department. We are helpful. We are, we're not front lines. We're not out there plowing the snow, but we're making sure street sanitation has their snow plows. And so what I would offer, the advice I would offer to my successor would be to keep that mindset. Um, there was a quick anecdote that I had shared. The Department of Transportation was, was painting the crosswalks at City Hall rainbow for Gay Pride Week. And um, someone accidentally ran over them before they were dry. And so they needed to be repainted. And the commissioner of, of uh, transportation sends me a picture of my painters fixing the problem. And to me, that was the perfect example of how we should operate. No one had to tell them. Um, they didn't have to ask for permission. If they would have asked, we would have said, of course, but they felt empowered. They saw a problem that they could fix and they fixed it. That's the mentality that I, I want us to have. You know, we're a service department. In some ways, if you never hear about us, then we're doing a really good job. It's not a department where you're out in front. You're not doing, you're not doing interactions with the public, uh, but you... Those departments would have a hard time functioning without us. David Reynolds is the outgoing now commissioner of the Chicago Department of Assets, Information and Services. Your last day is when? It's Monday. It's this coming Monday, the 28th of February. Thank you so much for coming on the Cloudcast and best of luck in your, your next endeavor there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thanks again to Commissioner Reynolds for sharing his personal news with us and giving us that peek behind the curtain of what his department does. This episode of the Cloudcast was produced and edited by me, Alex Nitkin. We'll be back with another episode next week.